0: Uh, I want you to turn to the person on your right and say to him you 're looking good. Would you turn around and say that to him you 're looking good <clears throat> now now I want you to turn and look to the person on your left and say, "You need a little work, but I love you anyhow <laughs> Oh me." <man. laughs> Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm home. When I get here, I feel like I'm home. And uh, old COVID, we're not going to let COVID keep me from coming anymore now. I'll be 85 next month, but God willing, at my 90th birthday, I want to come and preach for you, uh, Brother Bill. Uh, and uh, aren't you thankful to have your wonderful pastor back today? Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, he kind of got on a roll on that no excuses business, didn't he? You know, I'm supposed to be in Shreveport, Louisiana next week. May I go or shall I cancel or what do you want me to do? That's pretty convincing there, wasn't it? No excuses. Well, thank you so much for letting me come. It's always a joy uh, to my soul to get to be here And uh, tonight I want you to come especially, I'm going to uh, bring a message tonight specifically for God's people that I entitled, Stormy Weather. And I believe it'll be an encouragement to you. We've had some stormy weather in a lot of different ways uh, in the last several months. And so if you'll come, I believe it will be an encouragement and a strengthening to you. Stormy Weather. Now turn in your Bible this morning to the book of Acts chapter 26, 26. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And when you find the book of Acts, I want you to turn to the 26th chapter toward the end of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 26. And then when you get chapter 26, I want you to begin uh, reading with me in verse 22. So if you found your place now, would you stand and let me read the word as you follow along in your Bible And then keep your Bible open as we work through these verses together. Uh, In verse 22, the Apostle Paul says this, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, "'and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles.' "'And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, "'Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad.' Uh, "'But Paul said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, "'but speak forth the words of truth and soberness, "'for the king knows of these things before whom I also speak freely.' For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then King Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day we're both almost and all together, such as I am, except these bonds. And we had thus spoken, the king rose up and the governor, and Bernice, and they that sat with them. Thank you, and you may be seated, and may God bless the reading and now the receiving of his holy word. There are three men in the verses I've read to you this morning who illustrate the variety of attitudes people have toward the Lord Jesus Christ. There is first of all governor Festus and he represents those who are alienated from Jesus Christ. He thought Paul was going crazy right before his eyes. It's an amazing thing that uh, people mistake earnestness for insanity. If you uh, get all excited and carried away about money or politics or our sports, uh, they think that's great. If you get sold out totally to your sports team, they call you a fan. If you get totally sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ, they call you a fanatic. And so here is Paul, and he is witnessing, uh, testifying about the Lord Jesus Christ, but Festus is alienated from Christ. There may be some of you in this room this morning, and you're alienated from Jesus Christ. And then, of course, there is the Apostle Paul himself. And he represents those who are all together for Christ. Paul's motto, Paul's life verse, so to speak, was I can do all things through Christ. And then he said, For me to live is Christ. He was totally wrapped up, sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, there is this third man, Uh, he is known as King Agrippa. And he represents those who are almost to Christ. There may be those of you in the room this morning, you've thought about giving your life to Christ, people have witnessed to you, and you have almost given your life to Christ, but you are not quite there yet. So in the story of King Agrippa, who is almost to Christ, is the story of a tragedy. The many tragedies in the Bible... Do you remember when the children of Israel got to the little village of Kadesh Barnea and they stopped right there and instead of going into the promised land, they turned and they went 40 years in the wilderness. They were almost there, but not all together. And then you remember the scribe who came to the Lord Jesus and he had all of the right answers. Jesus looked at him and he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. He stopped at the gate of almost instead of going in to the land of altogether. And so I want to speak to you this morning on the tragedy of the almost. And my purpose in this is to help those of you who have almost given your life to Christ to step all the way in and give your heart and your life to Jesus in this service today. Now think with me and follow with me now, first of all, about the reality of the almost. In verse 28, the Apostle Paul said, uh, the, the Agrippa said to the Apostle Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Uh, some of the newer translations uh, translate that in a different kind of way. Uh, they they kind of translate it like this, Are you trying to persuade me to become a Christian so easily, and uh, the interpretation is there that it is uh, something said in ridicule and something said in scorn. Well, that may be the case, but I think uh, sometimes people use ridicule to cover over the real conviction in their heart. Pastor, you've seen people and you've witnessed to them and yet they just kind of blow you off or they kind of ridicule what you have to say. And so I think what we really have here is a man who is almost persuaded, and yet he tries by the means of ridicule uh, to push the Apostle Paul's witness away. I think it is real. I think he is genuinely at the point where he was almost persuaded, but he didn't want to admit it. And so with a smirk on his face and with a sneer uh, in his voice, he said, are you trying to uh, convince me uh, to become a Christian? And yet it is very real that he was almost persuaded. Now, there are several reasons I give uh, in these uh, passages of Scripture here that convince me this is the case. In fact, look at verse 26 in your Bible, and let me just point out to you some of the persuading factors that make it real that he was almost persuaded. There's first of all the persuasion of the Scriptures. Look at verse 26. He said, for the king knows of these things. Well, what things? Well, look back up at verse 22. And you will notice that Paul is using the Old Testament Scriptures. He is using the prophets and Moses. And the Bible, the Word of God, is a very persuasive uh, reason people to give their life to Christ. Uh, The writer of Hebrews said that the word of God is like a sword and it cuts through excuses. Uh, Jeremiah said that the word is like a hammer and it crushes the reasons people don't come to Christ. And he said again it is like a fire and it consumes the reasons people give for not coming to the Lord Jesus. Now the Bible uh, is a wonderful book for Christian living. When you give your life to Christ, then you follow the teachings of the Bible and it will give you a wonderful life. But the first and the primary purpose of the Bible is to give you the knowledge you need to become a Christian. Uh, You may remember uh, that uh, when you first came to Christ, uh, you came because of the Scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul said to the young man, Uh, Timothy, he said, From a child you have known the holy scriptures which make one wise unto salvation. And then do you remember in John 20, verse 31, where John says uh, these words, These are written, talking about the Bible, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that believing you might have life through his name. And so the Bible is a persuasive power. It is a persuasive reason uh, for people to give their heart and their life to Christ. Uh, I remember a number of years ago I was a pastor up in Rome, Georgia, and I was out in our weekly visitation, and I went into the home of a young couple, and uh, I witnessed to them about giving their life to Christ. They didn't give themselves to Christ uh, at that time But before the week was over, the man had read the New Testament all the way through. And he called me and he said, would you come back over here? I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. And oh, dear one, there are those who have shared the Word of God with you. It is a persuasive factor, the the persuasion of the Scriptures. And then look right in the middle of verse 26. Look at what Paul says. Paul says right in the middle of verse 26, I am persuaded. Now, there's what I call the persuasion of a soul winner. Uh, When uh, Paul was converted, God said in Acts 9, 15, He is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before Gentiles and kings. And there stands Paul before King Agrippa, exactly as God said would take place. The persuasion of a soul winner. Can you imagine how God used Paul as he persuaded men to give their life to Christ? He said one time in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11, he said, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, I persuade men. The power of a testimony. Do you know anyone who has given their life to Christ? It ought to be drawing you close to giving your heart to Christ. Uh, do you know anyone whose life has been radically changed because of their conversion? It ought to have a compelling force in your life. Uh, I have a granddaughter who is in marketing in Chicago, and uh, it's quite an interesting, fascinating subject—is uh, marketing. And you know, one of the things that they use in marketing is what they call the satisfied customer. Uh, In other words, they get somebody who is well known, somebody who is famous, and uh, they are satisfied with that particular product. Uh, You know, if you want to be like Mike, you got to wear Nike shoes. And if you want to enjoy a meal, you got to go to Subway like Steph Curry. The power of the satisfied customer. Well, I wonder, are there those around you this morning and they are satisfied with Jesus? If there's anyone in the room today who's satisfied with Jesus, would you lift your hand? Can I see? Look at all the hands going up. Is there someone here in your life has been changed for the better because you gave your heart and life to Christ? Would you lift your hand? The power of a satisfied customer. So there's first of all the reality of the scriptures. There is second of all the reality of a soul winner. But then notice the third thing in verse 26 there is also the reality of uh, uh, the Savior. Now look at the end of verse 26. Paul said, These things are not, none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. Now, what is he talking about in that statement? Well, of course, what he's talking about, as you recognize, he is talking about the Savior and his death on the cross of Calvary. I've been to the Holy Land. Many of you have been to the Holy Land, and they show you traditional sites and locations uh, there. And uh, I remember they took us outside Jerusalem and, and showed us just a little hill there. Uh, and it almost looks like a skull. And you know, uh, Calvary was known as Skull Hill. And, uh, but, but the hill they show you, uh, topographically, it, it's not very high. But friend, theologically and historically, the cross of Jesus Christ is the highest hill of humanity. There is power, persuasive power, in the cross and the death and the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus. And so I have a feeling here that what Paul has done is he has taken Agrippa to Calvary. Uh, Could I take you to Calvary for just a moment? Uh, Could you visit with me as we climb Calvary's hill And uh, would you see there the soldiers, and they are cursing, and they are gambling for his garments? And uh, do you see there the religious crowd, and they are blaspheming, and they are taunting the Lord Jesus? Uh, Do you see Mary, and she is weeping, and she is sobbing? Uh, Do you see the thieves, and they are blaspheming the name of the Lord Jesus? And then look at Jesus on that cross. Beaten and battered and bruised beyond human recognition. Listen to him as he speaks on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Uh, Can you imagine the power of that? Why was he doing that, preacher? The Bible says Christ died for our sins. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. Every Thing you have ever done that was wrong Jesus nailed it to his cross and Jesus said one time he said if I be lifted up from the earth I'll draw all men unto me and so the Lord Jesus in this service today having been raised again from the dead comes to your heart's door and someone here who is almost persuaded to be a Christian. The Lord Jesus Christ comes with scars in His hands, and He comes with a wound in His side, and He pleads with you, won't you give your life to me? And He pleads with me, won't you turn from your sins and come to know me as your personal Savior? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to announce to you that you've got to have a pretty hard heart to turn down the appeal of a Savior like that. So there's, first of all, the reality of uh, the almost. But then think with me, secondly, now as we move on, I want to talk to you about the reasons for the almost. Why, why do you think it is that, that King Agrippa was almost persuaded, but yet he was not altogether? Oh, why, why do you think maybe he stopped at the gate of almost and didn't go into the land of altogether? Why, why was that? Well, just look around the room uh, in this passage for a moment. And I think if you will look at the people in this room, you will see some of the reasons why uh, he didn't come to Christ. Uh, one of those reasons is found, uh, uh, one of those people is found in verse 30. Do you see who is sitting on the throne by high, by, right by Agrippa? Her name is Bernice. Bernice. Now, there's a lot of history, a lot of Jewish history about who this Bernice is. Let me just cut to the chase and tell you that who Bernice is, is really Agrippa's sister. And they are living in an incestuous relationship. And so, Agrippa looks perhaps at Bernice. And and you see, he's got a corruption problem. The love of sin. I can almost imagine that he looked at her and he said, if I give my life to Christ, if I become a Christian, then I'll have to give up Bernice. And the love of sin keeps many a person from giving their life to Christ. I speak to you this morning and you've been almost persuaded, but every time you've gotten real close, you think about some sin in your life and you're unwilling to give it up. I was pastor back back in Georgia at another little town called Cedartown, Georgia. And I remember we had a marvelous Sunday school teacher. She was a a wonderful Sunday school teacher, Uh, but her husband, Paul, uh, was not a Christian. And, And so I would go over there, and I'd witness to Paul, and Paul would get real close, and then he would back off. So we became good friends, and I went over there many times. And so one day, I, I, one night, I just said to him, I said, Paul, you know, you and I are friends, and, and it looks like you almost give your life to Christ, uh, but, but yet you always pull back. Just be honest with me, Paul. Why do you do that? And Paul said this He said, Well, preacher, he said, You know, I work at a factory in Atlanta. And he said, It's a long, hard, grueling drive early in the morning. And then he said, I work a hard, hard, hot job all day, and then it's a long drive back home. And he said, Preacher, when I get home, he said, I like to go over to the refrigerator, and I like to just reach in there and get me a cold beer. And I know if I gave my life to Christ, I'd have to give up that cold beer. I'm not here to argue about a can of cold beer. If you want me to come back some Sunday, I'll preach on a can of beer, but that's not my point. My point is for him, he was unwilling to give up a can of beer to give his heart and his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, ladies and gentlemen, for someone to, to take any sin and use that as an excuse to give their heart to Christ Makes no sense whatsoever. It's like a thirsty man turning down water. It's like a hungry man turning down food. It's like a cancerous man turning down health, the love of, of sin. But then I think he looked over at old Festus. And I think he may have thought about Festus. You know, I, I, I heard Festus kind of making fun of Paul. And what would he do if he, if I came back, what would he say about me? Now, you see, the second problem that Agrippa has is he, he has a courage problem. Uh, you know, we all want to be liked, don't we? None of us want to be laughed at, do we? Or made fun of. You know, you can say, well, I don't care what people think about me, but down inside you do. And uh, I could almost uh, see Agrippa, he said, oh my goodness, well, wh- wh- what will happen? Who, he'll make fun of me. Uh, I remember reading the story of uh, Dr. Harry Ironside, who was pastor of the Moody Church many, many years ago. And he said when he was a boy, his mom used to give, uh, talk to him about giving his life to Christ. And, and uh, uh, he would say to her, he'd say, mom, I-, I would like to do it, but my friends will make fun of me. And she would always say to him, Harry, remember, your friends may laugh you into hell, but they'll never laugh you out of hell. A courage problem. You say, preacher, you're going to ask me in a little while to to come forward. Yes. And preacher, all these people here, they're they're going to see me. Yes. Yes. But you will never be in an audience more sympathetic uh, to give your heart and life to Christ than you will in Florence Baptist Temple. So he looks at Felix Festus. And then he looks at Paul. I think Paul's one of the reasons he didn't give his life to Christ. You say, well, now wait a minute, preacher. You just said that, that Paul is one of the reasons that he was almost persuaded to give his life to Christ. Yes. But I think he was also one of the reasons why... Uh, Agrippa hadn't given his life to Christ Paul look at him there he stands and he's got chains on his hands and manacles on his feet and and I can imagine that Agrippa looked at that and said man what will happen to me if I give my heart and life to Christ now he's got uh, a commitment problem what would it mean to me if I give my heart and my life to Christ What, what will it cost me Now, folks, I'm going to level with you this morning. I'm going to simply say to you that there is a cost to giving your heart and your life to Christ. There are believers sitting right here and uh, giving their heart and their life to Christ uh, has uh, sent them to foreign fields to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. There are others who have had extreme difficulties on their jobs because of their witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is a cost. We used to sing the old hymn, Must I be carried through the skies on flowery beds of ease when others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. Ladies and gentlemen, whatever the cost is, it's worth it to give your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Could I have an amen right there? But now there's a fourth person I think kept... Agrippa from becoming an altogether Christian. I think it was Agrippa himself. I-, I think Agrippa himself is one of the reasons why he didn't give his heart to the Lord Jesus. Now, uh, you've got to remember that, uh, that uh, Agrippa is, is sitting there and he evidently has some knowledge about uh, the faith. A- and do you notice what it says? Do you see what Paul said to him in verse 27? He said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And they said, I know you believe. You say, oh, whoopee, he's got saved. Nope. Now, folks, there's a difference between believing something in your head and believing something in your heart. Romans ten nine: if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart. Preacher, you've heard it, and you've probably said it, and I've said it through the years. I fear that there are some people who are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. They've got it all in their head. They believe all of the right things, but you have never let it get into your heart, and you have never trusted it. Believe. Jesus said one time, you will not come to me that you may be saved. It is a matter of the will. Now, uh, every decision that we make is actually a three-in-one decision. Uh, It is every decision, whatever decision you make, it is a three-in-one. It is an intellectual decision, it is an emotional decision, and it is a volitional decision. It's a decision of the head, it's a decision of the heart, and it's a decision of the will. Let me illustrate. If I finish preaching in time so that you don't miss your lunch hour, you'll probably go and you'll eat a meal. And you'll go to that meal and and you're hungry. They got a table laden down with food and, and you're hungry and you know you have got to eat in order to live. So intellectually, you're one third there. But then not only that, you're hungry, you're craving something to eat. You're two-thirds there. Did you know what? You could get to that second point. If that's as far as you got, you could starve to death. What have you got to do? You say, oh, it's very simple. You've got to eat. You've got to go all the way. Or let me illustrate it another way. See that chair? I think it's just as stable as that one, Pastor, wouldn't you guess? I'm, I'm getting tired. And I think that chair would hold me up. Intellectually, I know I'm tired. And intellectually, I believe that chair will hold me up. And I really want to sit down in that chair. I want to. I'm tired. Am I in the chair? What have I got to do? Take it, preacher, I'm out. (laughs) Do you get my point? Now, listen to me. Those of you who are in the room this morning and you're almost persuaded to come to Jesus, do you know you need Jesus? You say, I know I do. You're one-third there. Would you really like to give your life to Christ? You say, yeah, I I really would. I I know I need to and I'd like to. You're two-thirds there. But in just a moment, you're going to have the opportunity to say, I will arise and go to Jesus, and you'll be all the way there. The reality, the almost, it's real. The reasons for the almost. But now then, let me just say a word about the results of the almost. What happens when someone gets almost to being a Christian and yet, not altogether. Well, of course, obviously the first thing is to be an almost Christian uh, is to miss being a Christian altogether. Almost doesn't cut it. I mean, a football team almost wins the game, but they lose by one point. A runner almost wins the race, but he misses it by one step. And to be almost a Christian is not to be a Christian. And think of all that you miss. Think of the joy of forgiveness of your sins. Think about the burden of guilt that can be removed. Think about how your life can be changed and and made for the better. But if you don't go all the way with Jesus, you miss the blessing of being a Christian. I'll tell you something else you miss. Or you, that, that happens when you don't give your life to Christ. You bring greater judgment on yourself. Sitting in this room today, you have heard me preach the gospel and about the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have incurred greater opportunity upon yourself, and yet greater oppor- greater judgment on yourself if you don't give your heart and life to Christ. You know, i I had rather I had rather uh, face God in judgment coming from darkest Africa than to face God in enlightened, cultured America. This is a country, and this is the south, and this is a city where you know the gospel, and it brings greater judgment on yourself. God judges us according to the light that we have. Uh, You have heard this wonderful pastor preach the gospel Uh, You have had uh, uh, great evangelists, Junior Hill and others who have come and they have preached the gospel. You have heard faithful preachers all through the years. And and to hear that and yet turn it down, you bring greater judgment on yourself. And to be an almost Christian is to hinder others. You know, I've often wondered, what would have happened if Agrippa had given his life to Christ? Maybe Bernice would have been saved. Maybe Festus would have come to Christ. Maybe the course of of the whole course of a nation would have been changed. You know, people rarely go to hell by themselves. Remember what Jesus said uh, about Lazarus? Lazarus said uh, to, to send the rich man in hell said, Send Lazarus to my brothers, so they won't come to this place. He led others to hell. Is there anybody here this morning, you're leading somebody to hell? You're leading your boys and your girls to hell? Oh, to be an almost Christian is to hinder others. Uh, But oh, it's all so wonderful when you give your heart and life to Christ, you help others get to heaven. I was pastor of a little old country church, one of my first churches. I didn't start off in a big church like you did, Brother Bill. I, I started off out there in the country. Uh, I was pastor of Bethesda Baptist Church. Now, the old folks didn't call it Bethesda. They called it Old Bethesda. <laughs> Let's go out there to Old Bethesda and hear that boy preacher preach. Boy preacher? What do they mean, boy preacher? I'm the pastor of a Baptist church. Now, if you want to call me a boy preacher, I won't mind too bad, but uh, you know... <laughs> But we had a, a young man who came to our church who was the captain of a state championship basketball team. He was the leader of the high school there. We were having a revival meeting, and uh, he got under uh, conviction, did Emerson, and uh, so much under conviction that one night he decided that he would just come in through the balcony and escape the people. So as he walked into the room there in the balcony, there was a group of teenagers, and they were down on their knees, and he heard a girl call his name out to God in prayer. He came on up to the service. The songs were sung. The message was given. The invitation was offered. And down the aisle came Emerson, and behind him were eight others who gave their life to Christ. Who knows who you might lead and get to heaven if you give your heart and your life to Christ? But there's something else. I've got to say to you something else. I want to take you on an imaginary journey because if Agrippa never gave his life to Christ, He endures the tragedy of tragedies and eternity of regret. Go on a visit with me now down through the hot halls of hell. And there is a man, and he's got a rope around his neck. And he is shouting, I have betrayed the innocent blood. Who is that, preacher? That's Judas, the tragedy of betrayal. Walk with me a little further And there is a man washing his hands. In life, he washed his hands in water. Now in hell, he is washing his hands in fire. And he's saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this just man. Who's that preacher? That's Pilate. The tragedy of neutrality. Walk with me a little further. And here is a man and he's crying out. I'm ready now. I'm ready now. Who is that preacher? Oh, that is Felix who said, When I have a convenient season, I'll call on thee. The tragedy of procrastination. And then we go down a little further, and there sitting on a throne of fire is a man who is shouting, Almost, almost. Almost, who is that preacher? That's Agrippa. The tragedy of the almost. Many, many years ago now, I uh, read the story of a miner named William Hyatt. He was 62 years old and they found him in the blistering hot Mojave Desert with his arms and his face buried in the sand looking for moisture. They they retraced his steps, and here's what they found. His car broke down, and he walked for 20 miles through the blistering sands of the Mojave. And the last mile, he crawled on his hands and his feet before he died a half mile away over the next sand dune were the Saratoga Springs that could have saved him? He was almost there, but he missed it. So near the gate, so near the door, and the door stood wide. Near to the gate, but not inside. Near to the fold, yet not within. Almost Resolved to give up sin. Almost persuaded to count the cost. Almost a Christian. But lost. Would you bow your head in prayer? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. If you know Jesus as your personal Savior, would you pray now for those in this room who've not given their life to Christ? In just a moment, I'm going to have a prayer And if you have almost come to Christ, but you have not gone all together, I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer with me. There may be others of you here, and you've never heard about Jesus much and didn't know a whole lot about him. But uh, this morning, you know that you're a sinner, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And that if you'll ask him to forgive your sins and invite him into your life, he'll save you this morning. I want a word of simple little prayer. And I want all of you to pray it. Every one of you in this room, you're not a Christian. I want you to pray. Pray this prayer uh, after me. Not to me, but pray it to the Lord. Dear Lord Jesus, pray it in your heart. I know I'm a sinner. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, and save me right now.